Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Dualistic Unity. I'm Andrew. I'm still not convinced that I'm Ray, but after season one, I don't think it matters anymore. Certainly. Yeah, we, we're uh, just discussing the idea of, of basically reality and, and whether or not you know, we can even be convinced that this isn't a dream or not, and the uh, capabilities of our awareness when we get ourselves out of the way. So I'm happy to continue that discussion. I think that's a great way to kick things off. And, and we're talking specifically about some of the examples of uh, Jesus's miracles with, you know, turning water into wine or walking on water and just the, the whole concept of, of being able to accomplish those things or do those things when you're able to get your perceptions and ideas about what's possible or impossible out of the way and even your idea of yourself and and yeah i think it's it's pretty insane because i've never really i've always kind of written those off as just like you know part of the fairy tale but yeah i feel like i've sort of come full circle to being able to see it in a diff, completely different lens that it's not just like a magic trick that you know god pulled off because he's the son of god but that we can actually get to as me or as yeah. anyone you know welcome to the insane part of the party <laughs> this is where it gets fun right because we know that everything is as we said energetic quantum soup we know that our awareness is is part of that we don't know to what degree but we know that without awareness <laughs> there is no experience of the quantum soup so there is no time or space without awareness and the quantum soup is time and space embodied so without awareness there's there's nothing so we're basically in the equivalent of a dream of a limitless consciousness. And that's what reality is, right? But if that's the case, then that really makes us question what is possible, which makes us question the whole Jesus story. Because what if you could surrender your idea of yourself, the physicality, the idea that the, the character that you've created, all of your limitations, all of that, and you could just be in a state of being, which isn't walking around going, I'm godly, look at me. Right. But it's a, a complete lack of you for the most part. You would actually be representative or, or embodying the voice of the whole, which I think is what Jesus was trying to do when he was saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. He was trying to speak as the whole, which I, I find just fascinating. Right. Well, if you did manage to get rid of that, that disconnect, that perception of disconnect, if you aligned to the point where it's the same as living in a lucid dream, that you are the awareness of reality and this is your creation what is possible? You know, even if you look at, at the slightly lesser miracles, and I say lesser with kind of a tongue in cheek here, but where he was healing people, Jesus always asked people before he healed them, he asked them a question, do you believe you can be healed? And then he said, by your faith, you are healed. He didn't say I healed you. See, he didn't say I did that. He said, you did that. I just gave you the opportunity by being here with no distortion. Come with me. My yoke is light. I'm not carrying that weight of myself, right? And so if that's possible, just by getting the mind out of the way of that person, what was Jesus capable of doing if he could get his own mind out of the way? Which is why, again, the, the, the walking on water thing always kind of amazed me. My grandfather used to always joke, well, he just knew where the stones were. But when he, when he was on the water, he had no doubt that he'd be able to walk. And when the apostles went to join him and they fell through, he went, what little faith you have. So all he was saying there is just don't doubt it. 
don't don't doubt that this is anything except God or the kingdom of heaven, as it were. And so he was really trying to communicate a state of being, I think, where our limitations literally do disappear. Now, whether all of that happened or not, the stories are very cool when you look at it from that perspective, you know, like the water to wine thing. Just accepting that you are all of the awarenesses in that wedding and changing your mind collectively. So that way, what? Oh, no, it's, it's always been wine. Why? Because I've decided it has been. And then the entire wedding experience is it that way because they're all you. That's some pretty crazy stuff. Like that's an interesting conversation. And, and as I said, with the, uh, the loaves and the fishes where he just kept feeding the masses and he just didn't look inside the basket to verify conceptually how much food he had. And so it just kept creating more food. Well, that was done uh, by a, a Buddhist monk in, in another legend as well with a, with a bowl of rice or with a barrel of rice. He just kept feeding the village and just kept the uh, barrel covered so nobody could see how much was in it and limit the possibilities. Right. So it's again, it's it's Schrodinger's cat. Right. Until I look in the box, I don't know the cat's alive or dead. Well, until I I verify that reality, it's potentially any reality. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it's like the infinite potentiality here. And now we were talking a lot about in the manifestation workshop. But yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you think that no one got that sort of idea from Jesus that he was just getting himself out of the way the whole time. Like he was just there, you know, things like come with me, my yoke is light. Like that he just didn't have that distortion of identity of thinking that he is this ego character and, and only this ego character. Like, I feel like that was completely missed by the church. Was it just because it's all been read about and written about through egotistical that's people? a good question. That's a really good question. Well, it's interesting because so in the story, um, Thomas was one of G Jesus's um, best students, doubting Thomas, right? He was the one who didn't believe everything on face value, right? And Judas, Judas Iscariot, was Jesus's most gifted student. You know, Judas, the one who, who uh, betrayed Jesus at the end. Well, in the Gnostic Gospels, there's a gospel of Judas. There's a, there's a story by Judas of what happened and why he betrayed Jesus. Of course, the church doesn't talk about that gospel. They, they disregard that gospel in the same way they disregard, disregarded the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Mary Magdalene, all of which tell a very different story of what Jesus was all about and never made it to the New Testament, right? Well, in the gospel of Judas Iscariot, Jesus asked him to turn him over to, to the Romans. Jesus asked Judas to turn him over, saying that you're the only one who will understand why. And then when Judas went back to the other apostles and they said, well, what did he tell you? He's like, if I told you, you'd hate me. So it makes you question the entire story right then and there, right? Same with um, in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. The, the original pope, the original person who was supposed to lead Jesus's congregation, as it were, was Mary, because she holds God closest to her heart. And instead, it ended up becoming Peter, right? The guy who turned his back on Jesus, um, right? So if you look at why the story was never told this way, it's because there's no power that you can derive from it, one. That, that's the biggest thing. If you're telling people that they, they are God, what do they need to go to church for? You know, if you're telling people that their awareness is the awareness of the universe, that it's limitless in its potential and its scope of intelligence, why would they have to go to a priest and ask for their forgiveness? 
wouldn't. And so to have this conversation about the Christian story would completely tear apart the church. You actually have to disregard all of this stuff to have a Christian church, right? Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come together otherwise. I, I was talking to, well, I was he talking to, I was responding to a Christian's comments um, yesterday about this. And her accusation was that, oh, well, you're just cherry picking things that Jesus said and then interpreting it as you'd like. And I went, well, okay, but I'm actually quoting what Jesus said. If there was a Jesus, we're looking at what he said and interpreting his words. You're just quoting other people's interpretations. Like you're quoting Matthew, Mark, Luke. These are other people's interpretations of Jesus. They're still looking at the same words I am. So what's the difference? And without missing a beat, oh, oh, that's good. So you're just going to disregard an infallible text and make stuff up. And my response, and I'm still happy about this one, was Jesus never said the New Testament is infallible. Who's making stuff up? Oh, man, I love when it gets back to that. The infallible text is usually where those conversations come to a come to a halt when, you know, the uh, the Bible proves itself or whatever the hell that is. Um, with that, uh, one question I had with the story of Judas turn, turning Jesus in, do you know or like, have you thought about why he wanted to get turned in? Or I've like, thought was about okay? it. I've thought yeah. about it. I, I wonder because... <sighs> What if it? What if the whole point was to make the ripple, to leave the story behind? What if he gave that little of a shit about how he was going to die? That he went, this will make an impact, huh. right? Like that's that's because if you think about it, so in in the New Testament, the King James version, when Jesus is on the cross, he says, "Forgive them; they know not what they do." Okay. That was not the original, uh, the original line. That was a mistranslation. What it says is, for this I was spared. Right? So he's looking at his whole life as being, I was kept alive this long to reach this moment. His perspective was totally different than pitying us. It was, so this is what this was supposed to come to. Right? It was an acceptance of his journey. I find that amazing. I, I, again, it's a totally different perspective, but it's so difficult to have this conversation because when we're talking to a Christian or a believer in general, there is already a disconnect. There's already this need to put somebody up on a pedestal to follow. There's always a need. There's this need to idealize them and to separate them from our very harsh criticism of ourselves which is why we have that gap between man and God, right? Between the sinner and, and perfection. And it's all conceptual division. But until you start picking that conceptual division apart, you can't look at any story and get anything of value out of it because all you're doing is looking for more reasons that this person was better than you. Yeah, yeah. I find it just always fascinating how everyone just wants, there has to be something else, you know? Like there has to be, something more or something after, or, you know, there has to be, there just has to be. And it's like, if you're actually take a step back and like see things a little bit clearly for what they are, I don't know, at the same time of all this, like sometimes, I don't know, like what if I'm wrong about everything, you know, like everything I think could, like could also be wrong. And like, I'm very aware of that. And I don't, 
you know, say it like I know for a fact anything because I don't. I, the only thing I know is here and now, essentially, at the end of the day. And that's why when people ask, I get a lot of questions like, are you religious or what, you know, religious practice are you closest to? And I always say, you know, I'm very much not religious. I, you know, the only true religion at the end of the day is no religion at all. And if I did have a religion, I would say that it's the here and now, because that's the only thing I can ever really know. Outside of that, it's all made up. And I find it so interesting, just the idea of people, you know, anyone who attaches to a belief system is just believing a story that they were told. Like, they're, they don't come to these realizations on their own. And that's, I guess, the difference for me as I, you know, and, and you as well, we were brought up with these beliefs, like shoved down our throats, basically. And we have sort of come to realizations beyond that on our own, because there's no other way to do it, because everything you're being told is quite the opposite. So I guess in that sense, that's the only, you know, rebuttal I have to like, oh, maybe you're wrong too. And it's like, okay, maybe I'm wrong, but at least I got to these things on my own, as opposed to being told this story my entire life and just believing it to be true. Yeah. Well, what am I wrong about? Not knowing anything? And that's, yeah. that's pretty solid. Like as things go, I'm pretty secure on knowing that I don't know anything. I, I'm good with that, right? And, and what's funny is that what we're talking about is accepting that my idea of myself is not necessarily the truth, right? And that any idea that uh, in control or any, any idea of, of um, being able to get exactly what I want isn't necessarily the truth. All we're saying, that's all we're saying is that anything I think about isn't necessarily the truth, which is humility and faith. That's the whole point. That's why I find it so funny that Christianity just drums on humility and faith, humility and faith. All religions do, while at the same time telling you to identify and believe in an idea of God that gives you an anchor. So you don't have faith, right? How can you have faith? If you have faith in an idea, because that's not faith, that's control. That's the illusion of control, right? So all we're talking about is taking the insights that the religion has been trying to point to, or, or rather has been uh, avoiding looking at, but is still in there, and taking them to their logical conclusion. We're taking them to the point where it's actually applicable rather than just lip, lip service, right? Like we're not just saying, you know, treat other people as you would like to be treated, which is often, you know, kind of uh, the misunderstood of way, uh, misunderstood way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's like, no, treat them the way you want to be treated. It's like, that's not quite the same as loving people, right? And we're just saying, well, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God is like that, then maybe they are the same thing. Maybe we can just get, find a way of getting out of our way until we actually see everybody as being connected and then live that way. And that's not a belief. That's actually application and practice. That's actually, you know, the hark, as it were. And that's that's all we're talking about. That's it. We're just saying you can take that very cute idea and actually put it into practice and refine a way of living that changes the entire goddamn world just because you're accepting that you are the world. That's all this is. And somebody and people get upset with me constantly, and that's fine about them, but this point is something that I, I will stick to. I'll die on this hill. Believers are lazy. That's why they're believers. I, I come to that 
so often, especially recently, is like, because I am just constantly questioning things, especially these days. Like whenever anything comes up, I'm like, I question that shit till I, you know, can't question it anymore. And usually that takes a really long time. But with the religion stuff, like, yeah, I, I see that a lot. It's just like, you guys just want to stop. There comes a point you know, whatever, even if you're not religious, if you believe in God, or if you're spiritual, or if you're super religious, like, you just don't, you know, especially if you're like, you know, my, we have some family friends who are like, you know, Bible, hardcore Bible believers, like word for word. And I'm like, Oh, man, but it's like, there's a spectrum of questioning. And I think that is like, one extreme where it's like, no questions whatsoever. And then there's a point where I started to get to, you know, probably five years ago, where I just started questioning, like the beliefs that the Catholic Church has. And I'm like, that doesn't really check out. Neither does that. Neither does that. Neither does that. So I just like, there's a spectrum until, you know, a lot of times people will stop at, you know, a certain point within the religion. So they're still identified as the religion because say they still believe in heaven and hell. And like, they're afraid of going to hell. So they don't want to do that. And then like they keep questioning and they, maybe they get beyond that, but then they're like, oh, there's still a God and like, they may judge me. So like, they don't want to question that. And then it's like the point, like the final sort of cascade in that is the questioning of God and, and the idea of that. And I, I ask this all the time when I'm having discussions with religious people is like, you know, you believe that God is everything and everywhere always. So that includes us, right? Like we're something here now. And it's like, well, no, like he, he's right next to me. He's right. He's right on my shoulder or like, you know, he's got his arm wrapped around me, but it's like, but you're something within everything. You're part of everything and everywhere. Like that's everything. Right. So like that is God. Then you are God. Like, no, nah, nah, not quite. No, they're still like, cause that makes me a little bit uncomfortable that, I'm God, you know, guys, God is higher. God is all powerful and all knowing I'm not all powerful and all knowing. And it's like, well, have you ever questioned that maybe you're not this thing that, you know, the Catholic church has conditioned you into believing that you are and everyone growing up has conditioned you to believing that you are. So when it comes to, yeah, questioning, like you started this statement out that, you know, they just get lazy. I think everyone gets to a point where they just get lazy. And I think that is part of, what makes this so enjoyable is like we question it to the to the end you know we get i don't know like so it's uncomfortable and yeah very right? uncomfortable well until there's nothing to hold on to which is the whole point it's not just about i don't know laziness it's also about fear because mm-hmm. if there's no hyper intelligent super omnipotent all-powerful god there's nobody protecting me And that is ultimately why I want to believe that there is some super powerful God that knows everything, because then I don't have to worry about the fact that I don't know what's going to happen next. It does. Right. And as long as I'm on its good side, it's going to take care of me. And that that's that benefit to holding on to that idea. It's it's like a parent figure. Right. That's why they always refer to God, the father. Right. Thank God. Daddy's going to protect me. Daddy's got my back. Sky daddy. Right. But it's, it's understandable. Like it's understandable. And it's unfortunate to some degree because typically, and as a parent, I look at it as, as kind of my job to teach my daughter about faith in herself, about, you know, not holding on to an idea of herself to give herself a false sense of value and, 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 and 
compete and compare to everybody else, but to have faith in herself and grow as a person and, and, and get into that whole flow where she's finding her own value through doing things. But a lot of us never got that growing up, right? A lot of us were never taught self-efficacy. What we were taught was to do what we were told. And if we did that well, we got a cookie, right? And then just to wait for our opportunity to be in charge. So other people had to listen to us, right? And that was it. Like we live in a hierarchical model where it's like either you have to serve happily underneath somebody else, or you got to wait your turn to be that somebody else where people will serve happily under you, right? And that was the entire thing. We were never taught to stand on our own with reality, right? Which is why I often, I often find it interesting that most monotheistic religions came out of the desert. Because if you think about the desert experience of, of one person standing in the desert and the night sky staring upwards, it's a very isolated experience, just man and God, right? Human and God. And so it makes sense that in that environment, you would start having conversations with, the re with reality. You would start conversing with your reality and, and the idea of God would come up, right? So I, I always find that really interesting, but it's just the fact that if there's nothing to look to, then this is it. This is it. And for people who have been mindful about their life, people who have developed self-efficacy, people who have developed a state of, of, of genuine self-knowledge, there's nothing wrong with that. They're like, yeah, this is it. This is great, right? They look at life kind of like the Knack McFeagle do from Terry Pratchett's books, where it's like, you know, this is heaven. You know, we, we were somewhere else. We died. We came here. This is where we get to enjoy ourselves, right? Whereas if you have been avoidant, irresponsible, if you were never taught to find your own sense of value, if you were always taught that you needed to be higher than other people, then all of a sudden the idea that this is it, it's terrifying because you've never felt complete. You've never felt fulfilled. You've never felt safe. You've never felt like you were good enough or that you were able, able enough to, to make do. And so you don't want the idea that there's no one there protecting you. You don't want to fall back on yourself because you don't see the value in that. And that's, that's the biggest thing. It's like, well, if you just let yourself sit in that for a bit, just for a little bit, you'll find the value. You'll actually experience it. But as soon as you run back to God, you've given up all of that, that extra progress, all of that work, right? Just for the sake of feeling more secure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people tie that, you know, the idea of God or even the idea of a higher self too. I see that a lot. And I had uh, a comment on a YouTube video. It was one of my trip report ones. I think it was the one that I labeled, like I talked to God and they, they were talking about higher self and how, you know, some, sometimes days can be tough, but I know my higher self is like, you know, watching out or, or something like that. And I was just like, you know, my response was something like that's great and all, but like, don't forget that you are your higher self. Now there is no separation. There's no like disconnect that they're like a separate thing. Like there is no disconnect whatsoever. So realize that and you can be that now, like you don't have to continue looking at it as like this North star that you're, you know, or, or even something that, you know, has your back kind of like as a safety net, I feel like people kind of, even if they don't necessarily believe in, God, they believe in the concept of higher self. And it's like another sort of concept belief system. And then someone else hopped into the thread and was asking about, you know, if, if you do, you know, not have a sense of lack, or if you do believe these things or something like why strive for anything as a human. And I was like, well, strive because you can, you know, but you don't have to do it any longer out of 
this sense of lack, feeling like you need to strive in order to be complete or strive in order to be fulfilled or accomplish all of these things in order to be a complete human. You can be that complete human now. And then their response was, I'm not remembering everything perfectly, but something like, well, then, you know, if that were the case, like, what, what do you do? And I'm like, my response was, well, that is the case with a smiley face. And for me, I enjoy creating content, making videos, doing podcasts, walking, you know, hanging with my friends, hanging with my family, you know, working out. So I do those things. That's it. It's not to feel this level of completeness or that I need to do it in order to, you know, accomplish this self sense of fulfillment. And until then I will feel the sense of lack. It's like, I do them knowing I am whole and complete now because I can, because why not? <laughs> yeah, it's all just gravy after that, right? <laughs> That's the whole thing. It's, it doesn't matter what I do now. I'm just doing it because I can, but it's getting rid of that need. It, it does. It changes everything. It changes the entire experience you have, and it changes the ripple that you send out in the world. And, and you know, it's funny. It's kind of a catch-22 in that way because you, you almost have to abandon the idea of changing the world in order to change the world in a positive way. You have to come back to your own existence. You have to come back to, to your alignment with reality, to your alignment with yourself. And then in that state where you are fulfilled, where you can do anything, you're suddenly creating ripples that you never did before because you're not trying anymore. Like what you just said, like, I just do all of that because I can. That to you, you just, just, it just makes sense now. It's just the way things are. But to somebody who had never heard that state of mind, to somebody who was always trying to jump through hoops that they themselves were creating, that would be a mind-blowing statement. And I know that because people have said the same thing to me. It's like, what do you mean you don't listen to the voice in your head? It's like, well, it's in there. It doesn't, doesn't require my attention. It's just always there, right? So you and I, we kind of take this for granted because we're on the path. But to somebody who's never heard of the path, to somebody who's never taken a step down that path, or at least doesn't remember taking steps down that path, because we all have, right? Then all of a sudden, it's like you're speaking in another language. But, and again, I'm absolutely convinced that's just because of lack of exposure. I'm convinced of it, because think about it this way. We're having this conversation, and we're, talk, we're looking at Christianity, and we're going through the Christian mythology, and we're going, this all seems like you could look at it a different way, and it would make a lot more sense if you did. And as we have that conversation, people are joining us. They're joining us on Discord or on Patreon or in the comments section. Not everybody um, gets upset by everything we say. By, 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 by no means are we upsetting a large percentage of our audience. It's actually a rather small percentage. Most people are resonating with this very well. And so when you look at all of that and you, and you see that change happening, it's encouraging. It, it really is. And you look at the world and you go, oh, well, maybe it's just the fact that not enough people are talking about this this way. Maybe it's just the fact that not enough people have been out and about having this conversation. Because like I said, 20 years ago, I tried to have this conversation and it was the majority of people were, you know, nope, there's a God, you're being egotistical. It's like, well, hold on, let's just talk about this. Nope, don't want to talk about it. Okay, well, that's the end of that conversation. I'm just going to continue on with my life. Well, here we are 20 years later and that the, the ratio of people who want to talk about it versus who don't is vastly, vastly different. Like there's so many more people who want to have this conversation, not because they're looking for some deep connection to God, but because they're, they're tired of suffering. 
right? Which is what that mentality creates, which is the thing that always gets me. Like, like you, you, you just said earlier that the only true religion is none. Well, yeah, because as soon as you identify, you've divided yourself from everybody. As soon as you're holding on to an idea of yourself as a sense of value, you've divided yourself from everybody, except unless they agree with you, unless they, they identify in the same way, in which case now you can kind of relate. But as we said, religio means to bind together. The only thing that binds us together is what we do, is what happens when we stop separating ourselves. That's the thing is that we are bound together naturally. That's the, that's the norm. We just keep putting shit in the way. So if we can have a conversation about that habitual stuff we're putting in the way, then the conversation will, will start to change on its own. People will start to see that they are their reality. They can start to live in a more fulfilled way because they allow it to happen. Our, our biggest thing is that we, we are constantly striving to become something that we already are. Yeah, like the greatest illusion god ever pulled was convincing itself that it wasn't god and we've gotten to that point now and i you know i listen to a lot i still even will toss on alan watt's speech here and there and he talks about that so much and it's just it's it's crazy that we're at this point that like we've come so far from this understanding and and when it comes to religion even like understanding that i'm everyone like i can see totally see the path that anyone would take to wanting to hold on to that religion. And it's not that I feel a need to because I see myself as everyone. It's kind of like the push and pull type thing. Like I, I totally understand where they're coming from wanting to do that. But at the same time, like I don't have that, you know, desire to hold on to it. And, and yeah, like the whole idea of convincing God, pulling the greatest trick in the world, convincing itself that, you know, they aren't it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. I've marveled at that so many times. The fact that we can lie to ourselves so convincingly. That's pretty crazy. And, and it, it makes sense though. Limitless awareness, right? Would be able to lie to itself. But so the word apocalypse has always intrigued me because the etymology of apocalypse is the lifting of the veil, the lifting of the illusion. We always think the apocalypse is the end of the world, right? What if it's just the end of that dualistic illusion of it's, if it's the, the end of our belief in that dualistic illusion, what if that's the end of the world as we know it, right? It was never, you know, Armageddon and meteors fall, falling out of the sky so much as just the structures that have been contributing to our suffering just fall apart as a result, right? This is something I actually really wanted to bring up because people are saying this in response to, we can change all of this by changing ourselves. Well, there's people at the top and they're in power and they're never gonna let this go. And they've, they've worked really hard to make sure that they have complete and utter control. And that might be true, but it, it's, it's like a house on sand, right? That house can be built out of rock and metal. It could be a really solid house, but if the foundation underneath it starts to wear away, it's not gonna last. And the foundation of this system is us. We are the foundation of this system. And yeah, it's true. You got to go out and get a job and work and do all that until enough of us agree that that is no, no longer going to be the case. And then we actually start making strides towards changing that. But it's important to remember that we drive the economy. The economy does not drive us. We created the government. The government did not create itself. All of these things start with humanity. True, they, they've 
they have some momentum now. And true, they, they, they would like us to believe they can't be stopped, too big to fail, as we heard you know, frequently in 2008. But we know that's not the case. And it doesn't matter who's at the top and how, how powerful they might feel or how rich they might feel, because as soon as that money becomes pointless, as soon as humanity decides, we're in this together, we're not going to be torn apart by this petty game of, of capitalism and greed. All that money becomes worthless and all they're left with is a mindset that does nothing except make them more miserable in a world that will no, will no longer provide for them the things that they need to pad their ego. So I don't, I don't envy the people at the top right now. I don't envy those who have all the money and think that they're so secure and safe because the panic that they're feeling right now is justified. The world is changing. The foundation is wearing away. The house is starting to crack. Right. So just if you're listening to this, keep that in mind. It, it may seem like that is a very secure house, but the foundation underneath it has always been us and we're changing. The house is going to just fall apart. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And the other part of that is like, you know, I feel like if you are still in the and I'm not going to say like, I know you've been at this longer than I have. Like, I'm not going to say that I'm like totally disidentified from Andrew or to the extent that, you know, Ray maybe is now, but like understanding that at least to the degree that I do, like, I'm also not in a rush necessarily because I know that, you know, I don't end when Andrew dies, whatever day that is. So like as much as, and I think that's where the understanding of like, be the change you want to see instead of feeling like you have to go out and change everyone else, which is typically futile. It just like doesn't happen as you've mentioned many times that they like you like used, yeah, you used to be in that mindset and just kind of realize that it's not going anywhere. And so realizing that you are the change, you don't feel as much of a need to go out and force all of this change. You can just more allow the change to happen through you and through you and doing, you know, things like this. Like we hit 180 subscribers on YouTube recently. I was like fucking awesome. It's like picking up steam very quickly and it's cool to see. And like, we're not in a rush. Like we don't have, you know, set expectations and goals of like, or like even talking about, we talk about this stuff. We don't encourage people to like go out and do things. We just talk about it. And I think through the conversation and through, like you mentioned, someone who has never even come across conversations like this, just realizing that they're happening can be enough. And like, we've talked about so many times, we just have these conversations for the sake of having these conversations. And as people listen more and more, like they'll see that it's a possibility to live in a state where you're not, you know, necessarily in the rat race, trying to accomplish things like endlessly feeling this, you know, innate sense of, of lack. And like, you need to accomplish more and become more and do more and, and get more. And it's like, you can strive for things and do things without the need to be more or without the need to fill this insatiable void that will never be complete as long as you keep trying to fulfill it thinking from this mindset that there is something that needs filling in the first place need need was my big one man i, I gotta tell you that was the one that if I had a tool that helped me crawl out of hell, it was just the self-honest reflection on my need. <laughs> just 
Why do I need that? What am I looking for? And at first, it can be kind of a bitter pill because you keep coming up with this whole, well, what's wrong with me wanting that? Why can't I just have that? It's not fair. <laughs> and, and there is no fair, right? There's no such thing as fair. Um, there's this great uh, series of books by Terry Pratchett called The Discworld, and, and there's a character, the Grim Reaper, and he's kind of reflecting on, on the universe at one point. And, and um, somebody says, you know, well, where's the mercy? And, and he says, you know, take any, any star in the universe and grind it in the dust. Look through all the pieces. You find me one fragment of mercy, right? And there isn't. Mercy is a human thing. It's something that, that we've created, right? But it, it's just, it's so very interesting to me that the conversation we're having is really just about allowing yourself to see your intelligence, right? And what I enjoy is the comments that we get back. Like one comment we got this week was, uh, you guys are speaking a language I didn't know I was fluent in. And I thought that was great. That was so good, right? And then another person wrote today uh, in response to, to something I, I had written back to their question. And the only thing I had left was, you know, I can't really give you too much in, in the way of advice over text, but try not to believe in that your perception is the truth. Just always question whether the way you're looking at things is the way they actually are, because that will always give you more opportunities for insight. Well, that person wrote back to me, they're like, wow, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about that. Like, that really hit and it helped. You and I, we talk about this all the time. It's like, yeah, that's what we do every minute of the day. Like we're always just kind of going, this is really nice, but is it? And, and it's just so we can see another look, another way of seeing it, right? It's not even a need so much as just, it's like walking through a garden, smelling all the flowers, right? That's what different perceptions are. They're different flowers with different bouquets and different colors. Right. And so allowing yourself to explore them is just walking through the garden. Right. And I, I, I like the symbolism there. I know it sounds more pleasant than it is because sometimes there are bees and some unpleasant flowers in that garden. Right. But that's where discernment comes in. Yeah, certainly. And yeah, that brings up uh, something I was meant to bring up. I know you've talked in the past about how you're just like kind of relentless with these things. And, you know, it can be, you've, you've mentioned before that it can be, you know, tough to live with you or, or whatever, because you don't really let things slide. And I notice that with myself a lot that like with my family, they'll say something and I'll be like, is it, you know, is it? that way like are you sure about that and they're like andrew shut the fuck up <laughs> because it's like just let me have this one you know judgment or perception or like thought about you know opinion and it's like it's just my opinion or whatever and i'm like you know honestly i think the world might be a better place if no one had opinions ever and they and they didn't you know express their opinions and and i understand it from one side of like you know it's kind of it's kind of like the illusion of duality like it's okay to have as long as you don't you know take it as the truth and it's the same thing with opinions and and you know people close to me have gotten into this idea through friends or whatever that you know they should have an opinion on everything and you know everything every topic they should be able to express some type of opinion about it and I'm like quite frankly I don't even know if I have any opinions about anything because I know that I don't 
have the full picture. Like, I don't know the whole truth of it. So how the fuck am I supposed to have an opinion about it? If I don't even know like 5% of what's going on, like, you know, celebrity gossip that blows my mind that people actually, you know, talk about it or have opinions on celebrities lives. Like it absolutely, it's always blown my mind my entire life. I've never understood it whatsoever, but especially now it's like, how can you have an opinion on that you've never met them you've never even seen them in person you've never had a conversation with them you've never had any sort of interaction with them so like how could you possibly have an opinion on them <laughs> like that is nuts it's like it's kind of like you know the gospels in the bible their perception you're having opinion on someone else's perception of Jesus. Whereas when you actually, you know, read a text like gospel of Thomas, that it's actually more closer to like what he actually said, you can actually form your own opinion instead of having an opinion of an opinion, which is a lot of what the celebrity gossip stuff is, is just someone else's opinion about someone else. And then you get that information filtered through their opinion. And it's like, that's why I don't really have many opinions. Cause I don't know. It just comes back to I don't know. Like it could be that they could be an asshole or they could be super nice. And just someone had a negative interaction with them and they portrayed them as an asshole. And now like, you know, 10 million people think they're an asshole, but like, do you actually know that? Have you ever talked to them? Exactly. Well, I mean, opinion, opinions, another one of those things that always reinforces identity, right? Because I am my opinions, right? That's typically how we think about it. And so, yeah, every time we have an opinion on something, there's almost this juice we get out of it. Like, aha, I feel more certain about who I am now. I am this person with this opinion, right? And, and so it becomes addictive. Opinions are addictive, right? Even when they're negative, even when they're ruining your experience, the idea of not having an opinion, again, is counterintuitive as you and I have talked about many times, right? It's, it's just like, well, I could abandon this opinion, but then what would I think? It's like something else. I don't know. It's like it opens up to your options. Um, but, but that's the whole thing is that it's, it's just a perspective. It's just a perspective until you hold on to it and go, nope, this is what I've decided is the truth for me. But I'm way more likely to need to do that if I'm not enjoying my existence, right? If I can only find enjoyment through comparison to somebody else's existence, then I'm going to feed on gossip as much as I can because it gives me perspectives that allow me to feel better than them. That's the wonderful, wonderful thing about gossip. It's always putting someone down, right? So it's very easy to boost yourself up when you're addicted to that kind of thing, right? And celebrity gossip's no different, but we do that with everybody. I mean, so that video I made about the, the root of the system is us. Got, got a harsh response by a few people just saying, well, there are sociopaths and, and narcissists at the top of the pyramid, and they're going to ruin it for everybody. And I've, I've mentioned this to you before, that it is so very dangerous to just label somebody as a sociopath or a narcissist or a psychopath and just categorize them and shove them aside like that is who they are. And because they're humans, just like you and I, like... Donald Trump, perfect example. Donald Trump is practically a textbook narcissist. If you look at his life, I feel super bad for Donald Trump. Look at his dad, look at his parents, look at the upbringing he had, look at their mentality, look at the world he was born into and molded by. Yet we're just gonna throw a label narcissist and, and disregard him as a piece of shit, right? Because that's who he's become. 
but we all started in the same blank slate. So if we just label people and disregard them as worse than us, nobody changes. It's like the old expression, two wrongs don't make a right, right? So being intolerant of intolerant people doesn't fix anything. I understand it's the easier solution. I understand it is the easier solution to separate somebody who is, who is destructive rather than to show them empathy and help them find a way out of that destructive pattern. I get that. That is the crux of all addiction therapy, right? Is you don't just take those addicts and throw them in the gutter. You show them empathy despite their destructive behavior, despite the habits that they've become accustomed to. So they can find their way out of that. But we don't take that same mentality when it comes to greedy, self-absorbed people. We're just like, no, you're egotistical. You're part of the problem, right? You're a narcissist. You're a psychopath. You're great. We all are. We all have thatness. We all have the ability to be self-absorbed to the point of ignoring everybody else and showing a complete lack of consideration. We all have that. It's just a spectrum, right? And that spectrum is often um, exacerbated or added to over the course of our lives and the environment that we're subjected to or that we subject ourselves to. And so nothing's ever black and white. And, and the fact is, is that I truly believe that there are people today in the upper 1% who are rich and comfortable and, and living it, living the high life as it were, who are completely miserable in themselves. And if they had a chance to have this conversation would surprise everybody and, and turn and repent as it were, turn the other way. I absolutely believe that because there are people who have a lot of money who are miserable and they would give it all up. They could just enjoy their existence. They really would. And that's, that's what Jesus was trying to say when the rich man asked him, like, you know, can a rich man get into heaven? And he's like, yeah, you got about as much chance of getting into heaven as a camel does through the eye of a needle, right? Let go of all your shit, right? And then you're there. And that was very much the point. Just let it all go. It doesn't. And, and so to anybody who's suffered enough, that's a good deal. Right. And I'm not going to say that just because somebody is in the upper 1%, just because they are comfortable and have all that money, that they're not suffering. I know from my experience with clients and otherwise that that's not the case. And so as this conversation spreads, as much as the people at the one at the top are comfortable and in a certain mentality that, you know, perpetuates that, that hierarchy, I think the conversation changes the environment. The environment offers other opportunities and more importantly, offers other perspectives of the value that they've always had within them that they always thought they needed money to prove. See, they're just as trapped as we are. That's the whole thing about rich people is that it's kind of like Christian people, right? It's sad in that they know all the right words. They know all the concepts, right? They just can't get to the truth, right? Same with rich people. They've got all this money. They've got all this value. They just don't feel valuable without it, right? And so it's, it's kind of sad. It's like being able to go on a, a five-star vacation and not enjoying any of it, right? So this problem that we're having in our mentality, defining ourselves, separating ourselves, feeling the sense of lack, is not just something that happens to those who are impoverished or those who are struggling financially. It's something that is happening to the entirety of humanity because it is a part of identity. Our overcommitment to this idea of ourself will always leave us in a perpetual state of hell. Yeah, going back to that idea of, of people 
you know, the open-mindedness debate with, you know, I'm open-minded until it's someone who's closed-minded and then I'm not open-minded about that. And it really is the easy way out. I've never really heard it uh, coined in that sort of way or expressed in that sort of way. But like, yeah, when you think about it, like that is, that's the easy way out because you don't have to continue, you know, questioning. It's like, you want to stop questioning it. I feel like a lot of things come back to this idea of, of questioning and then you're so sure. And it's like, you're able to label them as a narcissist or a racist or a psychopath or anything. And it's just like, you know, they're boxed up and, you know, you don't have to worry about it anymore or think about it anymore. It's like, that is a fact. And there's so many times when someone will say like in an interview, I'll see on whatever, you know, social media and someone will say like, name, name a narcissist. And it's like, Donald Trump is the first to come to mind. It's like, everyone's just packaged him up like that. And like you mentioned, no one has taken the time to look at the path that he took to get there. And he started, you know, carte blanche, blank slate, blank slate, like everyone else. And I have a friend, I, I highly doubt he listens to this podcast, but um, I'm not going to name any names. Although if anyone listening who has, you know, interacted with me, they'll know who I'm talking about, but he, um, his family owns uh, or owned growing up a major league sports team. And a lot of my friends said, would always say how like they would, you know, love to trade places with him. They would do it in a heartbeat. And I always said like that, the life that he had, it, it is, and I, you know, he's a great kid, like one of my good friends um, and all of that. But I always said like, I don't know if I would trade with him. Like it, it seems great on the surface, but there are a lot of things that come with that sort of upbringing and yeah like they have a lot of money but there's parts of that that you know that's not it there's so many other aspects of it it's just like a small piece of the pie and yeah you know they're very comfortable they have a lot of things and everything but there are so many other aspects of this human experience that have nothing to do with that and i think there are a lot of people getting out of that example, just in general, people who have, especially kids who have upbringings like that, like, I would never, I'm so glad my parents aren't rich and famous people, like, or celebrity, I mean, like celebrity category type people, like imagine growing up as a kid with parents who are, you know, like major mega celebrities, like how, you know, that is, I don't know, a, a tough environment, I can imagine. Obviously, there's a lot of them that come out as, you know, great people and, you know, they enjoy their lives and whatever. But I think it's way more difficult to come out of that than come out of just growing up in a, you know, more, you know, quote unquote, when it comes to the bell, cor bell curve of normality, a more normal life that most people, you know, grow up in a city or suburbs or outside that and just kind of have more of a life where, you know, you're not in the spotlight all the time, even if it comes with, you know, riches and fame and everything. Um, and there's a quote by Jim Carrey, I think I've said it before, but, you know, I wish everyone could become rich and famous and accomplish all of their hopes and dreams to realize that it's not the answer. And I think he is a prime example of that. He had all these things. He, you know, was on the manifestation train, you know, he wrote a $10 million check dated, you know, someday in 1995 to himself when he had hardly any money. And that was, you know, the year that he signed, you know, dumb and dumber, the mask and whatever, and made 
I think over $10 million or exactly $10 million. And he had in the eyes of the world as successful of a career as you could possibly imagine. And he came out the other end. And when he was there, he was like, I don't feel fulfilled. I feel empty inside. And he went through a state of depression until he realized that, you know, Jim Carrey was just another character that he had been playing his entire life, no differently than any other character he'd played in a movie. And I think he started to question his perceptions of himself and his identity and reality. And he got to the understanding that, you know, there is no me. And he has some awesome interviews that I fucking love. And they're all labeled. It's funny because on YouTube, they're labeled like, Jim Carrey crate goes crazy, you know, in interview, like Jim Carrey goes mad in interview. And he's all he's saying is there is no me, like none of this matters. This is all made up. This isn't, you know, essentially saying this is a dream and the uh, interviewer just cannot come close to comprehending what he's talking about. And she's like, what do you, what do you mean? You don't believe in icons and, and stars. And he's like, no, none of this is real. None of this matters. You know, isn't that, isn't that great? And then he just kind of smiles and keeps walking. And it's so interesting, just his whole journey. Cause he was one of the first people that I, you know, four years ago or so that I started seeing some of that stuff. And it started, started getting curious about what he was talking about. And it didn't even, I didn't even fully understand it until a few months ago, what he was talking about exactly. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And, and the whole idea of like we talked about, I think two episodes ago of, of redefining that pinnacle of success and, and realizing that, you know, fame and fortune isn't gonna make you feel fulfilled in and of itself. And, and as long as you keep striving for that, you're never going to get it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the assumption, right? It's the assumption that this is going to be the way it is when I get there or this person is the way they are, or this person is the way I see them, right? Because assumptions give us that sense of, of certainty again, right? It allows us to go, this is the world. Now I know what I'm dealing with. Now I can define myself dealing with that, right? And so it's just constantly coming up with that idea. Who are we? And, and, and what does that mean about me and how I interact with the world, which always ends up getting in the way. But it's interesting actually, because uh, we were talking about identifying and whatnot. Um, one comment I often get, and it's funny to me, actually, this comment came from uh, my video from 2005, where I had just come out of the woods. My hair was like, you know, down my back, the whole thing. And I was looking pretty scruffy. And, and um, somebody wrote, sure, step one, be white. Right? Because somehow it was, it was my being white, that contributed to me selling all of my possessions and living homeless in a forest in a shack that I built out of spare wood, right? And so I, I thought it was interesting. I wrote back, I'm like, I would really love to know exactly which part of skin color is a requirement for being homeless. In which case that person didn't respond anymore. But I thought it was interesting because the comment was, sure, just, you're just, you just have to be white. I don't identify as white. And, and a large reason for that is because when I was a kid growing up, a lot of my friends were, were indigenous. Right. Uh, and so when I first encountered racism from other white kids, I, I talked to my grandfather about it and he explained to me, he's like, well, people will say we're white, but if you're angry, your skin will turn red. Right. If you're sick, you'll get a little gray, a little green. If you get bruised, you'll turn black and blue. And like, so your skin's changing color all the time. 
it's not something you can identify with. And I thought that was a great, a great lesson for a kid who was like four or five years old, first learning about racism. And so I never really identified as white. I, I identified as, you know, my, my ancestry is from Europe, mostly, right? Um, but I thought it was really interesting that even the expression white people is a fairly new expression. It didn't come out until the 1600s. I never knew that. I, I thought that was really interesting that up until about that point, we were just different types of European people, right? You had French people, British people, German people, right? Italian people. They, were, they weren't classified wholly and, and together as white people. That came later on as a justification for slavery because then they could divide white people from colored people and that gave them that, that division so they could feel superior based on identity again. So they just basically came up with a new identity that they could compartmentalize everybody else into. And those people now became white people. But it, we never were, even now, right? We're not white people. We're just people with a slightly different color of skin, right? And so I think a, a part of our evolution towards dissolving the borders between us racially is going to be, to a very large degree, white people getting over this need to identify as white people, right? Because it's not a real thing. I'm not white. This is pink and fleshy. It's very different, right? And so as long as we're identifying, I might as well just identify with a certain shade, in which case there are millions of them and there's no point in identifying with a color at all. But it's again, it's the assumption, right? As soon as I have an idea, I can put you in it. That's it. And it doesn't matter if it's narcissist or white person or Republican, doesn't matter, right? It's that as soon as I put a label on you, you are no longer you. You're no longer the constantly changing entity of awareness that you are. You are now the box that I've put you in and I no longer have to listen to you because I know everything I need to know about that box, I made it. And that is a serious danger. That, that is by far one of the biggest hurdles we have to get over is, is this certainty thing. This idea that if, because I have an idea, it must be the truth because it makes me feel really, really good. And that's it. That's our measure of truth. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, when it comes to the idea of race as well, I, I find a lot of times, you know, and with the group think and with politics, especially in the US, I feel like we're getting more and more into this space where people are just like the group think is is out of control and people don't even i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast we talked about the idea that um people don't even make up their own opinions about things until they understand what their side of the aisle is thinking about that and it's like it's wild how people are just getting categorized as like you know anything anything at all any topic it's like so polarizing and there's only you know two options and there's no gray area of nuance in certain things either you know you're this or you're that either you're this or you're that either you're this or you're that and there's no there's we're getting so far away from the individuality of all of that and people you know they won't make up their mind about something until they know what their side is thinking and then yeah when when it comes to the idea of of race as well you know, I was always kind of taught growing up that like, you know, not like you just don't judge someone based on how they look, period, whether it's race or anything, or they have long hair or short hair or 
whatever. And, you know, it's, you know, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And, and the whole idea of, you know, nowadays, like if you say something like, I don't see color when I interact with someone, it's like, you're immediate, you're labeled as being racist. If you say that, like you are straight up told, like, that is a racist thing to say. And it's like, that's literally the opposite of racism. Like if there was a polar opposite of racism, it would be saying that, you know, I don't see color. I don't judge people based on how they look, but it's like, now it's almost like you have to see that and then act accordingly and, you know, be careful about what you do or say, or, or, you know, think about someone and you, it's almost like they're telling you, you should go in with some preconceived judgments about the person because of how they look, you know, you have to be careful about what you say or whatever, because, you know, you should see color it's there. So like, you have to see it, you know, I identify as this. So you have to see that, you know, I am identified as this, even if you don't identify as anything whatsoever. And it's like, well, what if I don't identify as this human even? Like, what are you gonna say to me? Like, why are you saying that I have to identify as this? And are you gonna say that you have opinions about me immediately because of how I look or that I should have opinions about you immediately because of how you look? Like, it's so backwards the way that we are approaching this idea and it's just reinforcing the same mentality that got us into such fucked up situations for so like the last, I don't know, a couple thousands of years of humanity or however, however long we've dealt with things like slavery to begin with, like that is the exact mentality that got us into it. And it's like, you know, that idea we come back to with Einstein saying like a problem can't be solved at the level of consciousness that it was created on. And it's the same sort of thing. And I just see it so often. And it's like, I don't know, I'm going to do my part, you know, be the change. I'm not going to go around telling people that, you know, they should or shouldn't be acting whatever way, but I'm going to do my best to, you know, be that change and understand that that's about the extent of, of this awareness's capability. Yeah. Well, that's all we can do. Right. I mean, so it's so dangerous, especially with, with the media and, and, and the way things are in our reality right now in terms of, of information and, and, uh, entertainment and whatnot because the expression you know i don't see color originally the the intention there was to get rid of the walls like we're all just one right but then somebody from from another perspective somebody who had been hurt obviously went i don't want to be like you i want you to respect my differences right i want you to see that we are different and that you respect me regardless you know we don't have to be the same for you to re to, to respect me and to some degree i mean that's that's true too i mean it's the same thing that you and i are saying about duality you can accept duality exists without buying into it wholesale as truth and the same is true for for skin color or or different cultures right like you can respect the differences in cultures the differences in in skin color the differences in gender without committing to it wholesale as truth, as if those differences are, are separations rather than just variations, right? But I think the danger is that when, when society weighs in, in terms of the media or, or corporate interest, and they, they say, okay, so society says this is true now. Like for example, society says the expression, I don't see color is a racist expression. Trevor Noah was making a, a comment recently about uh, what happened to Dave Chappelle. Chappelle made uh, some comments about the trans community on his last stand-up special, and and 
you know, they came out in force uh, for what he was saying. And so Trevor Noah was doing an interview and the person who was interviewing was saying like, you know, do you think he crossed the line? And Trevor Noah's response was beautiful in that what line, right? Like where you see the line really, really depends on what, which side you stand on because what, what the interviewer was saying is society creates the line. And it's like, but hold on, if half the people in society are for what Chappelle said and half the people in society are against what Chappelle said, then society is not creating a line. Half is on one side of it, half is on the other side. There is no line except for how people perceive it, right? But we come up with this idea, society says this. Well, which percentage? And are they the percentage that's currently controlling the media? Right? Or are they the percentage that's controlling the medium that the message is coming through? Because that makes a lot more sense if that's why we believe that it's the whole society believes this, but it's never the case. You can't generalize society. You just can't. There's so many different perspectives of everything. And so it really just comes back down to that idea that it's never the assumption. It's always something deeper. I mean, I don't see color. When I first heard that, I went, that's a lovely sentiment. When a friend of mine, who's African-American, expressed, I don't really like that statement. My first thought was, why? And they explained it. And I went, oh, well, that makes sense. And then we had a conversation about, well, you could see where the intention might not have been to be that obtuse, right? The intention may have been to be more unifying. It may not have been to deliberately exclude culture and, and, and those other considerations. And he recognized that too. But he even said, not everybody's going to come at it from that perspective. Some people are just, you should be like us. And that was a valid point as well. And so I think what we're saying repeatedly throughout every episode on here um, is that you can't just take a statement at face value, regardless of the assumptions you have about the person who's saying that statement, right? It's worth questioning. It's worth looking a shade deeper because you might in that conversation have an opportunity for them to have a new insight or for you to have a new insight or just to discover that maybe the division that you perceived wasn't the same division that's actually there. When somebody looks at me and calls me a honky or when somebody calls me a privileged white person, I get that. I'm not gonna defend myself from that statement because they don't know me or my life. And for them to make that assumption about me is obviously about them and their life. And so if, if it really is important to me to bridge that gap, I'm not gonna defend my idea of myself. It's more important that I figure out why, they, why they're making those assumptions about me. And if there's anything I can do to dispel that assumption, to allow them to have an insight that maybe people aren't what they see them to be. Maybe that's true for some people, but not everybody. And it's just like anything else. If you can just question your habitual response or your habitual perception, you allow yourself room for growth. That's it. That's all it is. It's just, look, if you're going to talk to a Republican, you can assume that they have Republican values, but they may not have consistent Republican values, right? Because there's no real such, there's no such thing as Republican values. There are just values that people who are Republican identify with typically, right? And so it's just about questioning the label, the opinion, the idea, and the giving each of us a chance to step outside of them. To, to be a different person.
Yeah, I think something I've gotten better with the uh, last, I don't know, year or two is just being able to, you know, with the whole idea of understanding that I'm everyone, like seeing myself in everyone, like not getting so, not that I ever really got that offended, but even when people bring up things like, you know, silver spoon privilege, you know, conventionally attractive white boy, like you never had anything, you know, how could you have ever had any struggles, whatever. And it's like, I used to be like, oh, fuck that shit. Like, you know, and think of all these things like, yeah, I, I've struggled, you know, especially with, you know, and it's funny when people bring up like the anxiety part, like I had, I had last year, uh, Buzzfeed took a compilation of like a bunch of my videos and posted it on their Instagram. That's how I think I got like a few thousand Instagram followers from that. And they, I, I was sifting through the comments cause I wanted to like get in there and respond to a bunch because I like doing that. And so I was reading some of them and it was Buzzfeed. So like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who just love to say shit and it's like, Oh, you know, not a privileged white boy telling me about my anxiety or something. And it's like the fact that you're gatekeeping anxiety to something that like a white male can't uh, feel in any way, just like blows my mind. It's like, I get it with certain things, maybe to a degree, but like when it comes to anxiety, it's like, and I see that sometimes too, when people say things like, you know, why is that person anxious? Like they have nothing to be anxious about. Like they're, you know, whatever, like attractive, you know, have a bunch of money, whatever, like they're famous. Like, why would they have anxiety or like mental health issues? And I'm like, any, like, what are you talking about? Anyone can have it, especially someone in that position a lot of times, because, you know, they question things and they, they feel they, they have all these things, but because like we've talked about so many times, our society has those things on this like pedestal. People think that if you have those things, then you should never feel a sense of lack, but it's like, that isn't the actual we've created that pedestal thinking that that is the pedestal but it's not so like it's even playing field when it comes to things especially like anxiety so i find that so interesting when someone's like you know how could you how can you talk about this like in your position whatever and i'm like i was like if you saw me in high school you would know why i talk about this stuff because i was not the same like i hardly spoke. I was nervous all the time. I worried about what any single person's opinion of me was like, that doesn't, your color, your skin, your upbringing does not come into play whatsoever. When you're going through feelings like that, like you can't even like there, you can't even see which way is up when you're living your existence based on all those things. Like, you know, I talk about a lot now, like living based on that is completely futile. It's completely impossible to appease all of those people. So coming at it from an actual logical perspective, it's no wonder that it's such a high degree of suffering trying to live in a place like that because it's physically, mentally impossible. Like you can't do it and live in that way successfully, I don't even know what word to use, but like, it's, it's not actually possible. So I just, I find it very interesting when people, you know, just have these assumptions about because of how they identify you to be like, you should be able to live X, Y, Z way, or like, shouldn't struggle with this. And it's like, 
who are you to tell me what I can and can't struggle with? Like, who are you to gatekeep some sort of suffering to only yourself like that? You, I don't know. It's just, it's, I find it to be very interesting. And, and the whole idea of, of someone growing up a certain way or living a certain way. And like my friend, I mentioned before, like growing up in a certain type of environment where, you know, you have a lot of money, that's more conducive to having mental struggles because the physical struggles aren't there. So it's almost like the struggles, you know, balance out to be on one side to the extreme, which can be a lot more difficult to get through in a lot of ways, or at least equally as difficult to get through. Yeah, absolutely. You can't compare pain. I've, I've said this so many times with so many clients is that you can't compare people's suffering because the suffering is, is in context to the rest of their life, right? I think it was uh, uh, Louis C.K. Uh, back like, over 10 years ago made the point that, you know, um, a parent looking at their kid at the carnival, kid lost their balloon. They're like, I just suck it up. And his point was, you know, if I took your wallet and put it on a balloon and let it float away, you'd be like, no. So everything is in context, right? To that kid, that was his wallet flying away. That, that balloon was important. And so pain can't be compared, but it's interesting because it goes back to this, this uh, statement of responsibility in the present moment for the experience that I'm having we always want to blame our environment, right? Like when I was struggling financially, let's just say when I was having problems eating to keep it as simple as possible. Um, I often would say like, Oh, it's easy for you to be, to be happy. You have food, you, know, you have money, you have, you have a car, you, you, you have a parent, uh, parents who love you. You have a support network, blah, blah, blah. And it was because I thought if I had those things, my life would be better. What I was disregarding was that even if I had those things, I was still there living that life and all of the things that I was holding on to. So it wouldn't have changed my, my experience very much at all. Sure, I would have had more food, but I probably wouldn't have appreciated that food to the same degree. Sure, I would have had more convenience, but I probably would, would have used that convenience to compare myself to people who didn't have that convenience and give myself a sense of value. And, and so it was still me going with it regardless. But I know I would often look at other people who had the things that I thought would make my life better and say, how can you be unhappy? You have all of the things that I think would make my life better, <laughs> right? But it was always based on that, on that idea of, but this would make me happy. Why aren't you happy? You have it, right? And that was because I, I genuinely didn't understand that nothing makes you happy, nothing. There is nothing external that has the ability to create happiness within you. It's all your response to it. It's all your response to the external thing. It has nothing to do with the external thing. So if it has nothing to do with the external thing, then your response right now can change regardless, regardless. And, and that was the thing is that I, I had to learn to make the most out of being poor and starving, to find the joy in that. And when I did, that's when everything started to turn around. That's when my life started to change. And it wasn't, it wasn't for no other reason than the fact that I wasn't dwelling on the things that were killing my energy, right? I wasn't dwelling on the things that were pulling down my potential and, and squandering it in this idea of myself while I was comparing and competing with everybody else. I didn't need to compare and compete. I was doing the most with what I had. Nobody else was in my position. That's the thing, right? As soon as you stop comparing pain, you realize Nobody else would do a better job with your life. 
ever. They would do the exact same job that you are. So don't worry about what they would be doing. Do you. Focus on you. Make the most of your experience here and now. And I know that that's difficult. I know that's difficult when you're down to like two hot dogs and a pack, and a pack of uh, itchy van or a couple of noodles. And that's your whole meal for the next two days. Like I get what that feels like. It's not easy. It's not easy to look at things when they're hard and make the most of it. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. And I say that from experience. I know it's possible. It's just difficult at first, right? But the more you do it, the more you can start to let go of your cerebral or your perceptual prison, the more your reality will start to shift along with that. And so it really just comes down to recognizing your environment will change, but what you do with your environment, you're training yourself to do now. So if things are hard right now, just remind yourself, they won't, they won't always be hard. They haven't always been hard. Even in the last 30 days of your life, you've had moments of levity. I guarantee it, whether it was short or long moments of levity, there are breaks. The trick is being able to take advantage of those breaks when they happen. So you can revitalize yourself and then go into the next thing with a fresh perspective. And I wanted to bring this up actually, because you recently went out, uh, you went out drinking and you had a bit of a hangover the next day. And you were saying, uh, where was I wrote this down, that whenever you're hungover, you tend to feel a little bit more anxious, right? You, you tend to think a little bit more about yourself. That, oddly enough, is consistent. That's absolutely true. Because when we're in a low state of energy, we almost have this knee-jerk response to reach for identification for a source of energy. I find that so interesting that as soon as we're low, whether I'm sick or I'm hungover or I'm just depressed, I reach for my identity to try and buoy me. And that's what, what makes me sink even further. And as soon as I start questioning that, that's when I start feeling better. As soon as I start questioning the identity I'm reaching for, I start going, oh, oh, okay, I can do something with today. And I start feeling a little bit better about the day. And everything changes. My energy picks up and I stop thinking about myself. But I always find it interesting that in a state of low physical energy, my brain will immediately reach for the fiction of me. Yeah, yeah, that's funny you wrapped that up because I feel that all the time. And I feel like it's it's almost like this pull. And I've never thought about it in that sense of like grasping to identity and wanting to hold on to that. But it is that's where it comes from because that's where anxiety and like more depressed feelings come from when you and your identity are in the way. And, and when you were talking about um, when you're, when you were in states of suffering and close to, you know, starvation and being able to sort of make the most of your situation, something I did want to bring up that I know we've talked about in the past uh, when it comes to things like law of attraction, I think this ties into that video I kind of made talking about, you know, feeling anxious when I'm hungover or whatever, or, you know, being in a, in a state of very difficult suffering type part of your life where, you know, you're, you're starving, you barely have any food and being able to, you know, sort of see and, and understand there are bright lights despite it. So when it comes to law of attraction, like things that I have, when I talk to people about it, a lot of times, even if like they get the whole grasping for the thing, you know, it's, it's like the conversation, like it's not the thing, it's the feeling that comes with the thing. So I wanted to ask you about this because I don't know. I, I see, I think, especially since we have had more conversations about it, the idea of 
grasping for anything is almost like reinforcing that feeling of identity and reinforcing ego. So even if it's like, you know, you're not grasping for the thing, you're grasping for the feeling or however you want to label it. But in what you were just expressing, it's not, you're not grasping for anything. You're, you're seeing what is there without the distortion of the ego. So when, when I have conversations with people like that, I, I kind of just like, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, cause they're very identified with that. If, especially if it's like a manifestation person, they're like, yeah, it's, it's never the thing. Like, oh, oh, of course not. Like it's, it's just the feeling. Yeah. So like you can have that feeling now and you can feel that feeling now, you know, whether it's feeling like you've already gotten it or just feeling that feeling in some way, you can have that feeling now, but from your perspective, like, I want to hear your thoughts on just that whole idea of it's not the thing, it's a feeling, it's okay to, you know, reach for the feeling. And do you think that that is just, as I mentioned, like, reinforcing that feeling of ego, dualistic, like separative identity from everything that there is a thing that is separate as opposed to from what you were just discussing, going through suffering and, and feelings of starvation, even just being here now, seeing what is without the distortion, as opposed to, you know, striving for a feeling or, you know, not thing, but feeling that comes with the thing. Absolutely. No, it's exactly the same. There's no difference, right? It's just, it, so it becomes, okay. So <laughs> let's just say that what you want uh, is a chili dog. Okay. So when you get that chili dog, How's it going to taste? Just, just imagine the feeling. Just imagine it. Just imagine how that chili dog's going to taste. It's good, right? And when you have that chili dog, this is the feeling you're going to have. Do you think the chili dog's really going to taste like you're envisioning it does right now? No, because it's what it is and you're envisioning something. There's a difference between your ideal and your illusions and the reality. There's a very big difference between how you perceive something to be and how it actually is. So. That's one problem, is you're assuming that you're gonna have a certain feeling that you've created when you get to that thing and you're disregarding the entire journey to get there. The other thing is the fact that you're tying your happiness to the accomplishment of that thing, regardless if you're like, oh, I'm not trying to get the thing. I'm just trying to get the feeling that goes with the thing. It's the same thing. You're just rewording it so it doesn't sound like you're being greedy. It just, it just sounds better. It's a little easier for the ego to take that. The other thing is like, I'm fixating on the feeling. What feeling? Of satisfaction? Because that's gonna fade really, really fast, right? Like that's the whole thing. Life isn't ever one feeling that we're trying to get to. Like this idea that, oh, one day I'm gonna be happy. Yeah, for a few minutes. Then somebody's gonna kick you in the ankle or something and then you're gonna be pissed off. And then the real question is, how quickly can you let that go so you can get back to another state of being? Nothing is ever a final destination except the end of this illusion. And even that's not a final destination because you're still everything. So it, it just comes down to, it really just comes down to how it's packaged. I mean, at the end of the day, and I know what you're talking about, I've had the same conversations with people. It's like, no, no, I'm not trying to create a specific thing. I'm focusing on the feeling. That's still projection. That's still playing make-believe. That's still playing house. Like you're still exiting reality. So you can live in a cerebral creation that makes you feel a little bit better temporarily, but is also making you feel worse in the background because you don't have it and you know it. And that's the point, 
right? Is that you can't lie to yourself, not for very long, right? It will come up and you know, oh, I'll be happy when I get there. I'll be happy when I get there. Well, how long is that going to last? Because the farther it seems, the less happy you're going to be, right? The journey kills the value of the step. Yeah, I really like that part where it's like, it's just one moment that you're like, that satisfaction is fleeting. It's like, yeah, you get there, cool. But like, you're there now and you get there, it's, it's now and you can be there now. And, and when you were talking about this, it made me think of this idea that I, I came to mind, I don't know, a week or two ago, how I used to, you know, with uh, meditation and, you know, the journaling manifestation stuff, I used to do it religiously. And, and now I don't. And looking back on it and being able to reflect on that sort of experience and how I live my life now versus then was like, it was still just, you know, 30 minutes of my day. It's not like it had this carryover lasting effect through, like, it was very much a specific experience that I went through. And then I went on with my day and I still got frustrated about stuff. I still struggled with things like enjoyed things, whatever. Like it, it's not like it had this, it was still something I was doing in the moment, but I was, I was felt like I was putting so much value or, or need into doing it that I felt like, you know, it, it did last, it did expand through the rest of my day and was, you know, changing my brain chemistry and whatnot. And looking back, it's like, it was just a experience that I would have once a day in the morning that I would do that instead of actually living and like actually experiencing reality. And when you go through, you know, law of attraction, like just, you know, attracting the feeling stuff, it's like, you are kind of separating yourself from what is here and now, like, like you said, projecting a future reality that you're trying to bring into this reality. And it's, it's like, you're here now, this is the reality and you're just missing it because you're taking all this time out of your day to like project all of these things. And so looking back on, especially something like meditation, and again, I'm not anti-meditation. I've said this many times. It's just something that I felt like, it was sort of like taking off training reels to a degree. I don't want to sound like pretentious, like I'm, you know, too good for meditation or some shit like that, that I'm sure some people will perceive it as, but you know, they whatever. Should meditate not, on that. Yeah, not, not in my control. So I'm not going to worry about it, but it's like looking back on it, it really was just one moment in the day. And I now having, it's kind of like something I had to go through to help get to these realizations potentially, but also at the same time, not. And now I just am here now, like experiencing each moment here and now without the, as much distortion, without as much many ideas of who I am, of who other people are, of the way the world is and seeing myself and other people. So that makes my interactions way easier, whether they're super nice to me or super mean to me or pissed off at me or happy with me, like being able to see myself in them. And it's like meditation it can be helpful to take that time out of your day if you have a very busy day. But at the same time, it's just a set of maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15, whatever, however long. It's still just that situation where you can experience that, but you can get rid of that and experience it 24-7 at the same time. It's just a act in itself. And this is something Alan Watts talks about a lot that I never really grasped until recently was the idea because 
uh, meditation, especially now, because it's become such a fad and it's like, oh, we've studied this it changes your brain chemistry and, you know, it makes your brain bigger in certain ways. And it's like this, you know, practice that's beneficial for you. And, and Alan Watts always talks about meditation in the sense, like if you're doing it for a benefit, you're completely missing the point and it's doing it for the sake of doing it, it's just an act of being present, setting aside time to be present, but you can be present like all day. And it's like, you're always present, but it's more so just, you know, a set amount of time where you are aware, you can become aware of how much chatter is going on in your mind, where if you're not, you know, you've, you're far from that understanding, you let that run wild and you just attach to these ideas and take them as truth and identify with all of these thoughts. So if you're at a place that you're identifying with every single thing that pops into your head, meditation can help you realize that very well. But once you're in a place where you're just doing it because you feel like you have to, and you think it's like this benefit for the rest of your day, but you're aware when your perceptions are arising and you can catch those judgments in the moment and question things as they come up, meditation is just an event that you do that's just like a very specific set amount of time and it's not necessary and and you can live your entire life as that type of meditation but actually be doing things that you know that you enjoy and and that you're enthusiastic about yeah absolutely it's always funny right when we do something for the sake of doing it and the obvious shows itself to be evident, which is that that's the best thing for us to do. It's uh, just to be in the moment doing things for the sake of doing them, right? And then science is like, this is good for us. And people are like, okay, we're going to do it for that reason, which completely undercuts the entire point and the reason it works so well, right? So it's it's a lot like church uh, or meditation has become a lot like church, right? Where it's like, I'll just go on Sunday. <laughs> then I'll connect to God. The rest of the week will just get wrapped up in my confession, right? And, and I've met people who do that. It's like throughout the entire day, they won't put any effort into just keeping themselves in balance, questioning themselves, all of that. But they'll say, oh, I just need to go home and meditate. I'll be fine. It's like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> like, you're here. Might as well question what you're thinking, right? Might as well just take a step back, feel a little better, right? But no, no, got to wait till I meditate. That's when I really do my work. It's like, it's not though. I mean, and, and that's the whole point. And I find it really interesting. Like, it's not just meditation, actually, that that improves um, our, our cognitive uh, behavior or improves our brain, but actually just the feeling of enthusiasm, the feeling of, of fulfillment in itself increases neuroplasticity, which allows us to, to easier uh, reset the default mode that we think on, right? So just being present, being present helps you refine your ability to be present which helps you refine your ability to be. So it's an endless rabbit hole, which really begs the question, how far can you go down that? Exactly how aligned can we become? And that leads us back to the beginning of this podcast, which is what is possible, right? And we're not just talking about turning water to wine, but actually changing the entirety of your reality. You, individually, not us, collectively, because there is no us, but you, individually, because when you change, everything else changes, right? And that's the whole point. And it's true for anybody who's listening to this because you're the same person regardless, right? So as you change, everybody else changes because we're all you. And that, that's incredibly exciting to me because the, the more I let go of my idea of what that means, of what might be possible, 
the more ripples I see, the more things I see transpiring as we let it go and we just allow it to happen on its own. As I work on myself, I'm watching all of you work on yourselves and we're all connecting as we do this. That's incredible. And I know we're wrapping up here because we're coming uh, to the point where we do have to do a hard stop today. This will be the last episode of season one. Um, next season, we're gonna be really building on this conversation that we've had today and throughout season one in terms of the ripples that we're creating, in terms of how we're going to encourage this conversation because I think that's all we need to do is just encourage this conversation, keep having this talk and bring people into it, get their opinions, their insights, help them as they work through their own confusion and realize that we've all just been sitting here waiting for them to join us in reality. And that's, that's exactly what it is. There's nobody that we need to save. We just need to be in reality. And the benefits of that will show themselves and people will come as, as a result because the system right now isn't giving everybody much of an option. The, the fact is, is that this system is only going to continue to provide division and suffering. And as out of necessity, people are looking for an alternative. And the mentality that you are experiencing is the alternative, they just don't know it yet. So just keep being you, that's all you need to do. Yeah, 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 it's exciting. I'm super excited for season two. Uh, one thing, one more thing I wanted to bring up with that last thing you were talking about was the idea of, you know, needing, you know, something like church to pray or, or whatever. And I was having a conversation uh, yesterday. I got to make sure because technically this is my sister's room that I'm in right now, but someone in my uh, family was talking about how they've been to church the last three weeks and, and it feels really good. And I always, you know, toss in some snide remarks here and there. And I'm like, oh, wow, you, you're, you're now a very good person right? You've been to church three weeks in a row. <laughs> and uh, they were like, kind of, they're, they're always just like, fuck off, Andrew. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, well, I just like it. Cause you know, I, I take the time to, to pray for people and whatnot. And I was like, you know, you don't have to go to church to do that. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but it's just the environment and whatever. And I was just pushing it. And like, that's probably what's gets me in trouble here and there. But yeah, it's really true that people think they <laughs> think they need this thing to go to, for example, like church, or, you know, they need to have this thing to pray for people or like, you know, feel less judgmental about people. And, you know, when they go to church, they feel better about themselves. And it's like, that's so fucked. Do you not understand how like fucked up that is that you need that in order to feel better about yourself because they make you feel like if you don't go, you feel worse about yourself. So it's like this, this give and take that the same thing that's making you feel good also makes you feel bad when you don't do it. And the same thing when you pray for people, if you don't pray for people, but you don't need them to have those feelings, you don't need them to feel fulfilled in yourself or to take time to pray for people, whatever that means for you, thinking about other people, like, you know, having less judgments about the way other people live or whatever it is, getting yourself out of the way and, and your perceptions out of the way. You don't need, you know, that one day a week deal to do it. And so I just, I just find it interesting, but yeah, that made me think of that because that was a little conversation that I had yesterday of just, you know, questioning yeah, for sure. Oh, I, I know that well. I've uh, I, I've not made a lot of friends <laughs> while I was having those conversations, but they're valuable conversations to have. I, I, I think I think that there's a certain point where you realize that 
the only thing that you're ever going to lose in having this conversation are are the um, the the positive perspectives of people who don't want to have this conversation, and, and those positive perspectives are always superficial at best. I mean, they they last as long as you're not challenging those people. In which case, you're not doing them any good by not challenging those people. You're just allowing them to stay inside their box, right? It's the same reason that I like um, doing things that blow away people's assumptions of me. Because the lesson there is you shouldn't have any. You're welcome. I've just helped you learn that lesson a little bit, right? And, and so it's important to have these conversations with uh, devout believers, as it were, because, and I think this is it for me, because I'm not out to change the world. I'm not out because, as you said, we're eternal. We're not going anywhere. There's nothing really to worry about. But that doesn't mean that we don't have influence. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, create as we would with anything else, whether it be a painting or or, or music or, or um, a book. We're always creating, and so we're always influencing the world. We're always adding to this collective, as it were. But what we're really just trying to to get across is that there is another option to living in this mentality of, of competition and lack. There is another option to fearing what happens after death. There's another option to perceiving yourself as, as a puppet made of meat, right? Like there's a whole other option in terms of perception and existence that is free and in alignment with what's happening and would contribute to an entirely different world. Um, it's it, that's it, that's all, that's all we're saying is that there's an option it's optional. It's there. And I think that is the point is because religion, politics, all of it really depends on us not knowing that. It's like, no, 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 no. We're the only option. But you're not. Right. And that's the point. Religion is not the only option when it comes to alignment with the universe. Belief is not the only option when it comes to discussions about God or consciousness. Right. There is actually just awareness and questioning and curiosity and enthusiasm, none of which rely on fiction, right? So there are options and that's what we're encouraging here. And that's what we're gonna be encouraging in season two. We have some exciting stuff coming up in season two, roundtable discussions, which now um, there is a forum on our website. Anybody who wants to participate in these roundtable discussions, go to the website, click on be a guest, fill in your information, choose the dates that you're available, and we will get back to you about when we want you to be a guest on the show. We're going to have maybe four or five people for every roundtable discussion, and we're going to cover different topics. Um, I know we have one coming up very shortly on expression and art, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think that's going to be about midway through January, but we'll get back to you with the, the details as we get a little closer. And I know we're about five minutes from wrapping up here, Andrews. I just want to say thank you, first of all, for having this discussion with me, for perpetuating this conversation and for just encouraging just the great insights that we've had throughout all 14 of these episodes. We've really covered a lot of ground and uh, I'm just stoked that, that you've decided to partner with me on this and that everybody who's listening to this has been so good about contributing questions and, and participating in the discord. I've just had so much fun. So thank you everyone. All right. Yeah. I would like to echo that as well. I as I've said before, I'm very appreciative that I'm able to, you know, express these things with someone. And it's, it's really fun. And I always come into these episodes with no expectations whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, two hours later, it's like, all right, we should probably wrap this up. So this doesn't turn into like a four hour video or something, or podcast episode or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really fun and cool how we're able to, you know, we are not doing it with expectations, we are living our lives going through 
these experiences week to week. And then we just, you know, talk about, and sometimes we talk about experiences that we've had, we're able to incorporate them fairly seamlessly into the conversations, which has been a lot of fun. So I am super excited about what's to come and season two and incorporating more roundtable discussions, more, you know, I'm sure we'll have more live events here and there, free Zoom calls. We, you know, we love those. I love the Q&A episode. I listened to that back, you know, sporadically throughout this week. It was a long one. So it took me a little while to get through all the timestamps, but it was really fun to do that. And I really just enjoyed chilling out and just like answering questions to then talking about stuff to the best of our abilities and not necessarily set settling on answers, but just giving our perspectives of questions that people had based on our experiences and our interactions with people who have gone through similar things or whatever it may be. Um, but I think, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for this dualistic unity project that we're going through. And I think it's been very cool, even for myself. Like if you go back to the first and second episode of this, you can see, I think both of our growth, but I think I am starting from a place that is maybe a little bit just newer to these types of discussions than Ray. So you can really see like some of the questions I had in the first and second and third episodes, I'm now sort of able to like talk about and, and more in a way of like, I actually understand it as opposed to when it started out, it was like, I didn't understand it. I kind of could like see where it was coming from, but like really wasn't grasping it. And then I kind of like sort of understood it to a degree, but wasn't able to express it in any way. And, and now gotten to a point where I can actually, you know, have a conversation about it in a way. Like that's been cool just for myself to like see myself going through that sort of growth. And, you know, it's always happening to all of us. And so I'm excited for season two to be able to start seeing that with other people as well. Cause I think this is, you know, a new conversation for a lot of people. And like someone mentioned in one of your comments, it's like a language they didn't realize they were fluid in. And I think that's the same way for me. I don't know if I would have necessarily been able to have these conversations, you know, a year ago, but maybe I would have been intrigued by it. And maybe I would have, you know, my journey would have been a little bit accelerated if I knew these conversations were happening somewhere, but it's cool just, you know, to be a part of it. So I'm, I'm very grateful. And again, I'm excited for what's to come and I'm very happy to be a part of this wave. <laughs> Likewise, whatever it is, wherever it's going, it's cool that we're a part of it. Yeah. And I'm excited to have more voices involved as well and more conversations. And, you know, I loved our Zoom calls that we had, our group Zoom calls with, you know, 20 or so people on there. The workshops are always a lot of fun, just getting multiple perspectives, the Q&A even, having other people just involved in asking questions. Like we were able to get through, it was what, it ended up being three, three and a half hours. And it didn't feel like that long because we had other perspectives involved. It just like went that much quicker. If we have, you know, a group of people, we can have probably like a 10 hour episode. I don't know if we'll get we'll probably at some point, but yeah, for now we'll stick, we'll try and cap these two hours or so. Keep it reasonable, right? <laughs> so we're not hydrating throughout the entire episode, but uh, no, this has been great. I'm really looking forward to season two and uh, happy new year to everyone. I know it's completely arbitrary, but you know, we're going into 2022 by agreement. So happy new year, everyone. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you next year.